Well, good morning, everyone. Um, this is my first time being up here since coming out of the pandemic. You are beautiful. You look beautiful to me. It's just amazing to see your faces and for us to be here together. Because if there is anything the last 15 months has taught us is that we are better together, aren't we? Like as a church, we are better together. We need friends. We need people in our lives. Um, as we heard earlier, songs have been written about friendship like for forever. And I grew up in the 70s and the 80s and early 90s, and it seemed like every song that came out was a song um, about friendship. There are a ton of them. So I want you to help me out this morning, and I want you to fill in the blank of this song lyrics. Can you do that? Just fill in the blank. That's all you got to do. Okay, ready? Here's the first one. I get by with a little help from my, yes, you know that. Um, speaking of friends, did anyone watch the Friends reunion? Watch that reunion show? Yeah, it was so good. Um, you should know this song from what we just did earlier. But um, here is a line from that theme, sh from that show. I'll be there for you. I'll be there for you. Um, the movie Aladdin came out in the early 90s, and it had a popular song that said, you ain't never had a friend like me. Exactly. Now, I am not telling you anything that you don't already know. I'm not, it's not even a profound thing for me to tell you that you cannot make it on your own. Everyone, every person has a need to belong to something. Um, how many of you took a psychology class in high school or college? Do you remember? Yeah, all, a lot of us. Do you remember Maslow's hierarchy of needs? It's a fairly obvious um, pyramid of needs that each human being has, and it starts at the bottom with very basic physical needs, right? Like you need food, water, air to survive. The next level up is security. Things like you need a home, you need shelter, you need a job to make money. And then right after that, right above those two, is the need to belong. It's the need to be a part of a group. And as we come out of the pandemic, I don't need to convince you of this. You know you need people, right? Like you feel it in your bones. You feel it in your soul. I cannot tell you how many times people have come up to me over the last two weeks after our regathering and they say, it feels so good for me to be back with my people. It fills something in you that you can't explain and it's because you are hardwired to live that way. But there's a problem with this. There is a problem. And this problem existed before the pandemic. And I know that this problem will exist um, after the pandemic kind of clears up and we get back to total life as normal. And the problem is this. It's that even though we know that we need to be in community, that it is a core need that we have, many of us still push away organized community. We, we push it away. We keep it at arm's length. And I just want to ask, why is that? If it's a core need that we have, why do we push community away? Well, I think that there is a fear that kind of creeps in when it, we talk about getting close to other people, especially when we talk about getting close to other people in a church setting. And you see, for us here at Crosswinds, we say that small groups are the absolute backbone of our community here. This is how we do life together. Small groups are where the action happens, and I'll tell you how that happens in a few minutes. But I think that when we talked about getting into small groups, many people have an anxiety that starts to bubble up. You see, I think there's this little voice in the back of our heads that says, I'm not sure that if you get to know me that you are going to like what you see. 
you're going to see that I'm different from you. You're going to see that I don't know all the right words to say. I don't know as much as you do. And what if you found out about my family life? What would you think of me then? And what if you heard about the things that I do on the weekends? If you know those things about me, you wouldn't like what you see. And I don't know if I can handle the embarrassment and the dread of feeling like I don't belong to the thing that I need to be accepted into. Now, here at Crosswinds, I think we do a really, really good job at making sure everyone belongs. In fact, we always say there is no in or out here at Crosswinds. Everyone belongs. Everybody is part of the family. The only thing that we say that we commit to together is pointing our arrows toward Jesus. Because in our lives, we have got a lot of arrows, right? We've got our family. We've got our work life. We've got our spiritual health, our emotional health. We've got a number of arrows happening at any given time. And we say that together, we are going to point our arrows toward Jesus. That's it. But I still think that under the surface, many of us choose to not join a group because we think there is a chance that once people get to know us, we will see that we don't fit in and we don't belong. And so it makes us keep people at arm's length. I love being a part of the big group. I'll come to church every Sunday and I will be part of the big group, but do not ask me to get involved in a small group. That is where I draw the line. I'm not going to do it. And it's because of that fear. And that's why belonging, as much of a core need as it is, it, it is harder than you think. It's not as easy as it sounds. But I've got to tell you something that is absolutely vital. It is so vital, especially if you consider Crosswinds your church home. And that is this. Not being part of a small group, not being part of a community will mess up your journey. It will mess it up. We started um, a new series last week called The Chicken and the Pig. And if you weren't here, this series title sounds really strange. So I'm just going to retell the story that Chris told last week that is going to bring this title all into um, clear view, okay? So here's the story. Once upon a time, there was a chicken and a pig, and they were friends. And one day, uh, these two friends were walking down the street, and they came across the neighborhood grocery store, and they noticed a sign in the window that said, bacon and eggs desperately needed. So the chicken looks at the pig and says, well, I'll give them eggs if you give the bacon. Well, the, the pig stops the chicken from walking in, and he says, what, are you kidding me? There is no way that that is happening. And the chicken looks at him confused and says, well, why not? And the pig looks back at the chicken and says, because for you, it's a contribution. But for me, it's my life. And what we saw last week is that eggs are a contribution, but bacon costs something its life. And the whole point is that there is something very profound in that story that mirrors what we see in Jesus. That Jesus didn't just come here to make a contribution. He came to give his life, total sacrifice. And it would seem to suggest that if we're going to point our arrows toward Jesus together and be part of that movement that he started, that we too are supposed to be less of a chicken and more of a pig. We learned last week that we need to be the bacon. And being bacon means modeling Jesus, especially when it comes to community. Um, I want to show you a passage this morning that gets um, to what I am talking about. It's found in Luke chapter 6, and I'm going to read it to you. 
It says, one day soon after, Jesus went up on a mountainside to pray, and he prayed to God all night. At daybreak, he called together all of his disciples and chose 12 of them to be apostles. Here are their names. Simon, who he named Peter, Andrew, Peter's brother, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. Okay. Do you know what this is right here? This was Jesus' small group. Like, these were the guys who would be directly linked to him. You see where it says he chose them to be apostles? Well, that word is special. That word means that these guys were not just followers. You are a disciple if you are a follower. If you are an apostle, it was a one step up from that. You see, these are who the guys who were going to carry on the movement after Jesus was gone. These were the guys who were going to spread the message when Jesus left. These are the guys who would do life together with him for three years and help him with his ministry while he was here on earth. And Jesus chose them, and he put them in a small group. Because what he knew, but they didn't know, is that once he was gone, one guy could not keep this movement going alone. That they needed each other. They needed a small group. Because when you carry on a movement and you are asking people to point their arrows toward Jesus, your arrows better be pointing toward Jesus too. And here's what you need to know this morning is that you cannot point your arrows toward Jesus alone. You just can't do it. It is absolutely impossible. Did you know that there are over 130 um, one another passages in the Bible? 130 passages where it says, love one another, serve one another, forgive one another. And you see, the last time I checked, you can't one another someone without another, can you? Like you need someone else transformation and change cannot happen in a vacuum it only happens in close proximity with other people i'll tell you a little secret about my own spiritual journey it's that i have a tendency to think of myself as much more transformed than i really am i like to think of myself as uh, much more being like jesus than i really am it's like when i think i'm younger than I really am, right? Like, I'm going to be 49 this year, um, but I still feel like I'm in my 30s. Well, last week, I went with some 30-year-olds river rafting. It was really just paddling, you guys. It wasn't even a class one. It was floating on a raft. And I thought, I am keeping up with the 30-year-olds, and I paddled for three hours. Well, this week, I have frozen shoulder. (laughs) Yep, tendinitis in the emergency room the other day because I couldn't move my shoulder. Because guess why? I'm 49 and I am not 35, right? And I'm telling you that's why groups are so important because I only find out the truth about who I really am when I am around other people. And there is one sure way to make sure I'm not fooling myself about my own transformation. And that's if I am around other people who can tell me whether or not transformation is really happening. And so crosswinds, if our goal in being here together is to point our arrows toward Jesus, to become more like Jesus, Jesus will never get formed in us outside the context of relationships, okay? And so for the remainder of our time, I really quickly want to tell you about five good things that happen in groups. 
five things that have to happen for Jesus to be formed in you, okay? Five things that if they don't happen, your life will not change. And so as I go through these five things really quick, I want you to ask yourself, to what extent are these five things happening in my life? And if you're in a group, ask yourself, are these five things happening in my group? Okay, ready? The first thing um, you get in community that you cannot get on your own is self-disclosure. Self-disclosure. Self-disclosure is all about taking off your mask. And I think that even here in a church like Crosswinds, where we say that everyone belongs, people still wear masks. Before um, coming here to Crosswinds to work, I worked for a Christian nonprofit in Silicon Valley, and it was run by this amazing pastor turned executive director. And he was just an amazing mentor to me. He taught me how to form a prayer ministry. He taught me how to teach. He taught me all about discipleship. We had such a great working relationship. He was just such a mentor to me. But he would never take off his mask. And what no one knew, none of us knew who were working with him, is that he was having a relationship um, with a woman. He was part of a small group in his church. He had very close friends, but he never took off his mask. Well, eventually, um, that friendship turned into something else. And one day, circumstances took his mask off for him, and our nonprofit went under. And I'm telling you, what a tragedy to have your circumstances remove your mask for you. Wouldn't you rather take that mask off yourself than endure the pain? And I just wonder how many of us come here on Sunday, we consider this church our church home, but we never get a chance to take off our mask. Well, what you need to know is that anytime there has been a profound movement of God in somebody's life, it is because a mask has been taken off and self-disclosure has happened. But I'm telling you, it's not going to happen here on a Sunday morning, right? It's not going to happen in a Steve Drawley class. It is going to happen in a small group in the context of close relationships. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. And what Paul is saying here is he is saying we are called to live with unveiled faces, openly showing our hurts, our wounds, our struggles, and even our scars. But I'm telling you, make no mistake about it, this is so high risk. This is bacon, Crosswinds. It's bacon. This isn't confessing that your cat is sick and that you need prayer, okay? This is a bacon-making kind of sacrifice where you admit your deepest wounds and your struggles. It is so vulnerable. It's where um, if you reveal things, people could actually hurt you with the information that you give them. It's costly, but it is so necessary because once you take off your mask, once you take that thing out of the darkness and you bring it into the light, you can actually begin to deal with it maybe for the first time ever in your life. So before we move on to the next point, I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to ask you a lot of questions this morning. Who in your life do you take your mask off to? Who in your life do you take your mask off to? Okay. 
a second thing for Christ to be formed in you that you only get in the context of a small group is application. Application. And application simply means looking in the mirror. Um, do you ever notice how when you look at yourself in the mirror, you look different? You do something to make your appearance look different? When I look in the mirror, I look up a little bit because it keeps my 49-year-old sagging skin from showing, so I do this. But I'm telling you, the minute I walk away from that mirror, I don't hold my head up like that. I go back to the way that I was. I don't walk around with my head held high. Well, James chapter 1, 23 and 24 says this. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. And you see, Crossland small groups are a great place to look in the mirror because the fact is my ability to hear a message on Sunday take notes on it, be moved by it, even shed tears over it, and then walk out that door and do the absolute opposite of what I learned is absolutely staggering. It happens all the time. But small groups are going to prevent that from happening. They become kind of these little schools of life that are very practical about the application of Scripture. Because once I take off my mask and I start to let people in, they start to know me and my stuff. They help me apply the Bible to my stuff because it is one thing for me to come here on a Sunday morning and hear a message about how if I have a problem with someone, I should go talk to them about it. It's another thing to show up in my small group and have someone say, you know what, Jody, that thing you shared with us about that problem you're having, that message on Sunday, that was for you. You need to go talk to that person about it. And then to have that person flesh out with me the right way to go about doing it. Don't you want to do that? Don't you want to know how to do that? Because here's what I know about 25 years, after 25 years of being a pastor. Most of us don't follow through with the biblical wisdom we hear, not because we don't want to. It's because we don't know how to. And that is where a small group can save your life. It's where people are coming up with concrete ideas as to how you can point your arrows toward Jesus. So I'm going to ask you a question, okay? Who in your life has the guts to apply scripture to you? Who have you given permission to do that? Who helps you figure out very concretely how you're going to point your arrows toward Jesus? Okay, it's a good question. All right. Um, a third non-negotiable for spiritual transformation and for change to happen in your life is accountability, accountability. Now, most of the time when I hear people talk about accountability, it makes me cringe because I think that most of the time we have got it all wrong, okay? When I first started attending here over 25 years ago, I was in a small group. And we had a woman in our small group who had a problem with boundaries. She just, she had this problem with boundaries um, with men. And every week she would say, you guys, hold me accountable, hold me accountable. Which basically meant, um, when we cut back together next week, ask me how I'm doing, and I hope I can tell you that I didn't screw up. That's what she's asking. Well, I need to tell you that that is not accountability. 
That is sin management. That's trying really hard each week not to mess up so you can go back to your group every week and tell everybody that you did a really good job. That is sin management. And if you have been around here for any length of time, you know we are not about sin management here at Crosswinds, but we are about accountability. And accountability is about making decisions together about what needs to be done to overcome something, okay? Um, can I tell you what a small group did for me once when I started here a long time ago? Um, I was just getting my career started, coming out of school. I had no money. I was broke. I did not know how to financially plan. I was trying to get out of debt, and I was struggling. And I shared that with my small group. Well, Trinity, Trinity had been on her own for a long time, and she was a master at budgeting. And Elba, she'd been saving money for a long time, and she had this really cool credit union where, like, if you were trying to save money, you could put it in these different accounts. Like, if I wanted to save money for Christmas, you put it in a Christmas account, and you, didn't have, you couldn't touch it until Christmas time rolled around. And my small group came together, and they did a little workshop for me. And everyone bought, brought their best practice. And they taught me how to manage my money. They helped me make some decisions and come up with some strategies so I could gain financial freedom. And I'll tell you, it was the first time in my adult life where I felt like I didn't have to do life alone, that I had people other than my family walking alongside me. And it was amazing because I needed people to help me make some decisions and some commitments. And you know what I, I noticed? I know what all you introverts out there are thinking. Are you an introvert? How many introverts? I'm an introvert. If I were you, you know what I'd be thinking? I can do that on my own. I can Google it. I can read a book. I can look it up online. I don't need anyone sharing their best practices with me. But I need to ask you, who is actually going to ask you how it's going? You need someone to ask you from time to time, how's it going? How is your way of life working? Is it working out? Oh, it's not working out? Well, let me help you. I want to walk alongside you. That is accountability, okay? So let me ask you, who in your life do you have that type of accountability with? Who is helping you think through strategies and make commitments? Okay, the fourth thing that is huge for transformation um, that you can only get in a small group is guidance. It's guidance. And guidance is something that everyone needs when you have a major life decision that you are trying to make. It is, it's the thing that helps you clarify what God is saying to you. And it's not always easy. Um, Parker Palmer, who is a pastor, an author, writer, teacher, um, a while ago, he was offered the job to be the president of a university. And so he's like, I can't make this decision by myself. I got to get my small group together. So he brings them all together. And he tells them about the offer, and they start asking him questions. And first, the questions are pretty easy, like, what's your vision for the role? Um, what do you hope to accomplish? And then someone asked him, what would you like most about being president? And no joke, he says, I would think I would like having my picture in the paper with the word president under it. And he was kind of joking. But no one in his group laughed because they realized his true intention and motivation for accepting the job. And finally, someone asked him, Parker, wouldn't there be an easier way to get your picture in the paper, right? 
Well, Parker Palmer's group was not just a small group. They were his clearness committee. They were his clearness committee. And I didn't know this, but a clearness committee, these had been used for a really long time in the Quaker community. Um, it's part of their normal practice that when you have a big decision that you are making, you form a clearness committee. And the role of the committee is to help the focused person discern God's guidance in the decision that they are making. Okay? Listen to this. Leadings of the Spirit often require us to be and do things that are different from the status quo. Because this can be challenging, resistance is a normal response when we first begin to sense God's leading. A clearness committee can help clear hearts and minds of whatever impedes awareness of divine instruction or willingness to follow it. I'm asking where would many of us be had we had people in our lives who were doing this for us? because you need people who can help you make clear God-given decisions. There are too many people, Crosswinds, who suffer from bad decisions that wreck their lives because no one is helping them get clear on what they need to do. And so I'm going to ask you, who do you go to when you need to get clear on what God is telling you? Who do you call and who do you ask? Okay the last non-negotiable for transformation is encouragement. And let me put it to you this way. People need to know that they matter to someone. You need to know that you matter to someone. There is a hunger in us that never goes away, the hunger to be loved by other people. And God's plan for his church, God's plan for this church, is that this be a place where everyone matters, no matter who you are. And for 2,000 years, Christ followers have been telling each other, I love you, and you matter to me on every continent and in every language. Those words have changed lives. And I think about how many times those words have been said here at Crosswinds. Sometimes um, it's when a spouse has left. Sometimes it's when someone's world has fallen apart. Sometimes it's at a graveside. But those words have changed lives in those moments. And I'm telling you, though, beyond the words, it's the actions of encouragement. It's the coming alongside and lifting someone up when they cannot pick themselves up. It's the video that we saw earlier, right? It's Brad and Gina who are so overwhelmed at the acts of kindness that lifted them up when they needed it. You see, encouragement is when someone is in a pile on the floor, and you walk alongside them, and you say, you know what, I'll help you up. I'll pick you up, and I will walk with you. And I just want to ask this morning, how many of us could use some hands and feet to help pick us up? Who do you have that will come alongside you? So Crosswinds, I hope you're understanding this morning that you were not meant to walk this journey alone, that you need community Jesus called people together to live in close proximity because that is the only way they could be the bacon for his movement. It was the only way that those five things were going to happen in their lives, and it is the only way those five things will happen in yours. It's the only way Jesus is going to be formed in you. Chris said something last week that is so worth repeating this morning. He said, as we begin to regather and rebuild our church, let's do it right. Let's do it with the foundations set. 
So you can be the egg. You can come on Sunday. You can be part of the larger group, and you can come and learn, but you can keep people at arm's length. Or you can be the bacon, and you can say, I am all in. I am ready to get into a group. I want transformation to happen in my life, and I want people to tell me whether it's happening and, or not. And I know for some of you, getting close to people, it sounds like death, right? It sounds like death. <laughs> I'll be honest about it. Being the bacon, it, it really won't kill you, but it will cost you something, right? It's going to cost you your comfort zone, your vulnerability, your time. I am an introvert, and small groups still scare me. They're messy, they're hard, they're time-consuming, but they are life-changing, life-giving, get your arrows pointing toward Jesus, wonderful things to be a part of. And they are essential for your journey here. I can try and convince you of this, but you might be better convinced by people who have been in a small group and know what they're talking about. So take a look at this. Okay, so I have one final question for you this morning. Are you ready to be the bacon and get into a small group? Um, if you are, we would love to talk to you about that. We have groups that are starting to meet again and, and open back up that are, that are taking people into their groups right now. And if you feel called to be in a group right now, I would love for you to talk to one of our small group directors. We're going to put their pictures up so you know who they are. Um, they will be out in the courtyard under the trellis wearing pink lanyards. You can identify them that way. Um, but they their only job is to know you and get to know you enough so they know what small group to put you in. That is their job, and they are waiting to talk to you um, right now. So I invite you to talk to one of them after the service. Also, if you were encouraged by what you heard today, and maybe you're thinking, you know what, I could, have, I could facilitate a small group. I'd love to get my friends together and start doing those five things. We would love to have you also go talk to one of our small group directors um, as well. And then here's a third thing. If you are currently in a small group and these five things are not happening, when you get together next, have an honest conversation with each other as to why. And if you need some help figuring out how to make the five things happen, guess what? You can talk to our small group directors as well. Okay, let's stand together and let's pray as we leave. God, I thank you so much that um, you, have, you have given us family. You have given us this church family where we all belong and we are all working to point our arrows toward you. But 
the greatest gift is that we, um, we don't have to do it alone, that we are hardwired to be together. And so I ask that you would help us just um, take the next steps on our journey if we need to get into a group. Um, help us do that. I know for a lot of us it's really hard, especially if we are private people or we are more introverted. Letting our, our guard down is a really hard thing to do. Help us to be brave and courageous and um, bless our groups moving forward. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for coming, you guys. We'll see you next week.